right, here we go. Uh, domain query, blood guilt. Uh, this is in response to a question, actually a very long question from uh, a friend of mine, uh, John C. Commented on my Monday post, and uh, it is quite a long question. There's no like, it's, it's a long comment actually. There's no particular, excuse me, question involved. But the gist of it is essentially um, why, as, as I understand it, the, the, the gist of this question is, uh, Didact, why do you think that Pilate uh, ordered Jesus to be crucified, released him to be crucified? Did he do it to keep the, the, the Jews and Pharisees happy? Um, you know, w was he... Uh, was he willing to release Jesus uh, except for fear of a revolt or going against Caesar and therefore he would, you know, Pilate would be put to the death and uh, that doesn't make sense from a historical point of view because normally someone like Pilate would have sent Jesus to death if the high priest told him he was a danger unless he didn't trust the high priests or feared a revolt. Would Pilate feel guilty about sending an innocent man to death? I know that we would in the Western world but uh, this is after centuries of the influence of Christianity. Um, you know, why would uh, why would Pilate want to release Jesus Christ, and why would he feel guilty about condemning Christ to death? Now, there is a lot to unpack here. Um, there, and and don't for one moment think that it is accidental that a Roman governor was involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And don't for one moment think that it's accidental in a biblical context that uh, a Roman examined Jesus Christ, asked him a number of questions, said, this man is not guilty, went back to the crowd and said, look, I can't condemn him, he's not guilty. And the crowd said, no, He's guilty of blasphemy. Deliver him up to us to be crucified. Um, now, that's not accidental because there's nothing accidental about the fact that Rome became the center of the Christian world. That didn't happen just randomly. It, it's not possible. Um, once you start examining the Bible and you start looking uh looking at all of this you know through the through the lens of history and faith intertwined then it becomes clear that something very powerful is at work uh some very powerful sense of historical inevitability so to look at why pilate didn't want to condemn christ you have to look at who pilate was what his background was where he came from and what the circumstances of the time were. So let's look at the background first and foremost. Remember what Rome was. The Roman Republic was a famously austere, disciplined, legal, legalistic society. So much of our modern Western canon of law comes from Rome, it's not even funny. Our entire understanding of adherence to the laws of judges comes from, or much of it comes from Rome interpretation of past statutes comes from Rome and is informed by the judges uh, of the Bible, obviously. Uh, 
it's it's informed through a number of different traditions, but Roman tradition is incredibly important. This idea of a balance of power between various uh, factions in government comes from Rome and it, and from you know ancient Sparta to a large extent as well. Uh, but the point is that this appreciation for rule of law is a very Roman thing. Now, the Romans were so famously disciplined, so brutal, and so strict in their adherence to law that they would execute their own for minor infringements or, you know, what we would consider minor infringements. There is a very famous case of a Roman uh, two-time dictator and three-time consul named um, uh, Manlius Torquatus. Uh, his full name was Titus Manlius Imperiosus Torquatus, uh, who was twice dictator in 353 and 349 BC and three times consul in 347, 344, and 340 BC. This is a man who ordered the execution of his own son. Let that sink in for a moment. He ordered his own son to be killed while he was the commanding officer for his son's cavalry detachment uh, during combat with an enemy. Now, what happened? Why would the why would the general of an army order the execution of his own son? Because his son broke orders. He broke ranks. He went against orders and attacked the enemy without being ordered to. As a lesson for his entire army, Torquatus ordered the beheading of his own son. That gives you some idea of just how strong the Roman fidelity to the law was and how strict the Roman code of honor was. I mean, imagine, for instance, uh, you are a Roman nobleman or senator, a patrician, and you discover that your wife is having an affair with another man. In Western Christian uh, sort of civilization, the natural recourse is to divorce your wife because she has committed adultery and then try to forgive her for what she's done. The Roman methods were a bit different from that. The Roman patrician would essentially go to his love rival's house, kill his uh, wife, kill the man who cuckolded him, and then come back to his home very calmly, run a bath, you know, have a order a bath to be to be prepared, uh, sit in the bath and slit his wrists, and uh, let his blood flow out. That is the measure of Roman discipline. That is the culture that they came from. That culture had not really degenerated quite as much as we think it had by the, the period of the empire. The, 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 the reason the Roman Empire came about, I mean, this is, you know, I'm not going to go into a lecture about that, because partly because I don't know enough. Um, but a big part of the reason why the Roman Empire came about was because of extreme disenchantment with the rule of the Senate and the power of the nobility. The people wanted more power. Julius Caesar consolidated a power base around giving the people free shit. I mean, Julius Caesar was like one of the originators of the entire concept of the free shit army. But Rome became powerful as an empire because of the discipline and austerity of the Republic. And it became legendary throughout the world because of its adherence to law. 
that is the tradition that Pilate came from. Okay, so his understanding of law was very clear. You cannot judge an innocent man to death, because if you do, you have committed a terrible, terrible sin. So you must find the evidence to convict a man. You cannot simply hold him uh, guilty. That is Roman tradition. Now look at the situation that he inherits in Palestine. Okay, Pilate comes to Palestine. Now, Palestine, or as, as it was known in Roman times, uh, Palestina was a territory riven by centuries of conflict, but it's a very strategic location. Uh, the Ptolemaic Empire, uh, Ptolemaic Empire, um, was, or the Ptolemaic Kingdom, was at its height uh, the ruler of Palestine, of Israel. So the Ptolemids uh, descended from General Ptolemy of you know, the time of Alexander the Great, had taken over that part of the world, and they had established a firm foothold there. This was a strategic crossroads because right there, you know, in, uh, in, in that narrow corridor of land was a connection between the breadbasket of the Roman Empire, which was Egypt, and uh, Asia Minor, which was the, the trade route that uh, had to be preserved in order to keep the rest of Rome and the Roman Empire functioning. To the east lay the Persians, uh, the Seleucids, and the, the rest of the, you know, the enormous mass of the, mass of the Persian Empire. Now, uh, eventually it became uh, the, the, the Parthians, obviously. Uh, now, with all of that in mind, the Jews of Palestine had a tradition stretching back a good 1500 years of God telling them, you will exterminate all of these non-believers because they are idol worshippers and they stand against the, the will of, you know, against my will. They must be eliminated, exterminated, destroyed. Uh, you, will, uh, you will wipe out the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Jebusites, the Philistines, and so on and so forth. So remember that even despite all of the various conquests of Israel, all of the, uh, all of the destruction of the Jewish kingdoms, uh, the capture and enslavement in Babylon for however long it was, uh, I forget exactly, um, the return to Israel, the rebuilding of the temple, and so on and so forth. Um, all of this does not eliminate the fact all of this does not change the fact that Judaism at the time of Jesus was still an aggressively proselytizing expansionistic faith uh, and does not change the fact that the Jewish High Council was appalled by the fact that the land of the Lord was being ruled over by idol-worshipping heretics from their perspective. Uh, polytheistic idolaters, the scum of the earth, the worst of the worst, this kind of strain of Jewish supremacy runs throughout the literature of Judaism. Uh, it runs throughout the Talmud. It runs throughout the Torah. It runs throughout most of their oral traditions and their written traditions. And I know that that sounds horrible to say that, but it's the truth. Uh, there is a reason why uh, Christian church fathers who read through the Talmud after it was compiled were absolutely horrified by what they read. And in the strongest possible terms, would condemn Jews and say these people cannot exist in 
in our land, they must be expelled. Uh, there's a reason why they did that. Okay, it's it's not just blind hatred of of Jews. There were there were reasons why it happened. Okay, so uh, with all of that said, this is the very febrile climate that Pilate finds himself in. This is a an environment where there's a lot of messianic upsurges and uh, a lot of uh, fervor and a lot of desire to see a Messiah because a number of very important prophecies and signs have suddenly been fulfilled. But the Jews come along and see that Jesus isn't the Messiah they expected. They expected the Messiah that was written of in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, of a mighty warrior king in the mold of David. They forget that there are actually two parts that uh, prophecy in Isaiah. There is the part that talks about a warrior king, yes, and there, then there is the part that talks about a great teacher and a healer of nations. They think that the first part is the only one that applies. They forget that the second part is more important, and they forget that the, the first part of that prophecy is actually going to come to pass later on, which is what Christians have been saying for 2,000 years, that the warrior king, the, the vanquisher of evil, is the man that is coming back. The, the Son of God is going to come back as that man, rise up and defeat evil once and for all. So, the Jews have this man in front of them, Jesus Christ, who is preaching things that to them are absolute blasphemy. You know, you can work on the Sabbath, you don't have to restrict your dietary laws, you don't have to worry about uh, sitting with tax collectors and uh, prostitutes and, 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 you know, idle people, thieves, you know, uh, that's all, it's okay. Worry about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. All of that stuff. Uh, this is horrifying to Jewish ears. So they find this man, Jesus, and they, they, they capture him. The, the Pharisees come up with a plot to ensnare him. And they take him before Pontius Pilate. But first they, 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 they question and interrogate him themselves. Now, uh, if you read the Gospels, the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, um, Jesus doesn't say anything particularly incriminating, but in the Gospel of Luke, he kind of does. But he, he actually answers very vaguely. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, I'm reading English Standard Version, uh, Luke 22, uh, verses 66 through to uh, 71. When day came, the assembly of both the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. And they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. So then they took him before Pontius Pilate. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, if in the other Gospels, Jesus makes it, Jesus answers very vaguely and ambiguously, or he doesn't answer at all. I mean, in the Gospel of John, you know, uh, John chapter 18, uh, verses 19 to 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. 
I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews came together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Anas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Uh, contrast this with uh, Matthew. Uh, yeah. Matthew chapter 26, uh, starting at verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Now, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and the coming and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? So, you can see if you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't say anything particularly incriminating. He did not blaspheme the Pharisees had to come up with reasons for his blasphemy. So, because the Pharisees were a religious council and not a governing body, and because the, the power of government had been stripped from them by the Roman Empire, they took him before Pilate, the Roman governor of the time. Now, go back to what I said about Pilate being a product of a Roman tradition in charge of a very restive province, a strategically important province. Pilate is torn between two very clear impulses. On the one hand, he has a duty to uphold Roman traditions of law. On the other hand, he has practical political realities to consider. He does everything in his power to prevent Jesus from being killed. He says, he questions Jesus and he asks him, Did you say these things? And Jesus says, No, this is what I said. Pilate listens to him and he says, I find no guilt in this man. I can't execute him. Why? Because Roman law doesn't allow me to execute an innocent man. Rightly so. But the crowd outside goes extremely restive and says, If you do not execute this man, we will rebel against the authority of Caesar, your master and lord, and you will be to blame, and he will execute you. So Pilate now has to weigh his duty to the law against his duty to his emperor. And this is type and shadow of a number of dilemmas presented in the Bible to Christians about whether it is right to obey earthly authority or spiritual authority. You know, and Jesus talks about this a lot in, in the Gospels. But anyway, Pilate feels guilty for what he has to do, not because of necessarily because of what his wife says or uh, anything else, but because as a Roman citizen, 
as a Roman patrician, he understands the traditions of Rome, and he cannot simply go against them for the sake of expediency. So finally, he gets sick and tired of the crowd exhorting him to kill an innocent man. You know, he offers them everything. He says, there is a tr tradition on Passover of releasing uh, a man from prison. Would you prefer that I release Barabbas, a truly bad person, or Jesus Christ? And the crowd incriminates itself. The Jews incriminate themselves by saying, no, we would prefer Barabbas. Even though he is guilty and Christ is innocent, we would prefer you release Barabbas. Then Pilate says, look, let me scourge him. Let me punish him by scourging him, because I can't. that's the only punishment I can inflict, and let him go away from here. But the crowd says, no, we will not be satisfied with anything other than his death. Finally, Pilate gets fed up of it, and he says, look, I can't do this. You can't make me execute an innocent man, because everything I have seen indicates he is innocent of the charge of blasphemy. The crowd says, and this is the key phrase, let his, upon us and our children, let his blood fall upon us and our children. We will accept the guilt. We just want him dead. Pilate says, okay, I am guiltless. I have done my duty to my king and to the law. I have carried out what must be carried out. I wash my hands of this. Enough. And Jesus is taken away and crucified. Once again, there is a reason for everything in the Bible. And there is a reason why a Roman was chosen to act as Jesus's executioner, if you will. He wasn't exactly Christ's executioner, but he, he turned him over to the Pharisees and said, do what you want with him. I wash my hands of this case. I'm not going to get involved anymore. Pilate felt guilty. I do believe he felt guilty about what had been done. Uh, I do think that he felt tremendous guilt at the fact that he couldn't save an innocent man. But there is a reason why a Roman was put in that position, because there is a reason why Rome became the center of the Christian world. And I'll leave you to think about that, exactly why that happened. I have my own theories, but you know, I'm just some hack. I have no background in theology. I don't pay attention to theologians, so I can't really tell you, you know, why something happened or why he did this or why he did that. All I can tell you is what I think uh, the Bible says. So, uh, I hope that kind of more or less answers the question, because again, it wasn't really a question, but uh, uh, there, is, um, there is clearly a sin on Pilate that he, you know, he didn't step in to, to exonerate an innocent man. But it isn't anything like the guilt that was placed on the Pharisees and the Jews in general uh, for what they did. Because the Jews very clearly said, we accept our guilt, not just in this generation, but in the generation to follow, that we have condemned an innocent man to death simply because we don't like what he says. Okay. You know, do what you want with him. Um, the reality is that Pilate was balancing political reality against rule of law. And as a Roman, he probably did all that he could do in the position that he was in. Now, remember that um, the Gospels are not the only accounts that we have of that contemporary set of events. 
there are at least two accounts that we know of. I believe it's Tacitus and Josephus, um, both quite hostile to Christians, which explicate the same things and said that, you know, this is more or less what happened. There aren't as many sources as evangelical Christians would like you to believe that support the biblical accounts of contemporary sources. But there are enough to make it clear that a man, who we Christians consider to be and believe wholeheartedly to be the Son of God, was condemned by Jews to be executed, and that the Romans of the time, the Roman governors, uh, governing authorities of the time, tried him, saw that uh, he couldn't be condemned, and did not, did not condemn him according to Roman law, but gave him over to um, the Jews to be killed according to Jewish law. So uh, that is the, the nature of the problem that Pilate faced. I think he did about as much as he could to deal with it in his own way, given the, given the strictures that he was under. Uh, and I believe that he, he acted the way he did um, out of good conscience, but he is still condemned by his sin. It's just not as bad, it's, not just, it's just not as terrible a sin as what the Pharisees did, uh, for which they are much more greatly condemned. So, um, I hope, uh, John, I hope that answers your questions. Uh, if you have not subscribed to John's podcast, by the way, it's the JJ podcast, uh, I recommend you do so. Uh, many thanks, as always, to my loyal readers, my SoundCloud followers, my listeners, uh, for tuning in. And uh, I will see you on the next uh, Domain Query, which will be Sunday. And with that, this is Domain Query, Blood Guilt. <laughs>